Welcome to the Give to Profit podcast, the podcast that inspires business owners, entrepreneurs and leaders to turn their business into a profitable force for good. During our weekly episodes, you'll hear business leaders and entrepreneurs share how they put social impact at the heart of their business and the many benefits that come from doing this. You can find full show notes for today's show and additional resources at givetoprofit.com. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, where it would also be great if you could leave us a rating and review. For every review this month, we'll be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. And so now, here's your host, business mentor, speaker and author, Alison McKenzie. Hi everyone, this is your host, Alison McKenzie, and I am delighted to be here with you today. Thanks for tuning in. I know you could be spending your time doing many other things, and I really do appreciate you being here. And today I'm really pleased to be having a discussion on adventures of charitable giving and getting out there in the world with someone I really connected with when we first met at a conference in California a few years ago, Akshay Nanavati. And as soon as as we started talking we discovered we had a few things in common traveling the Rwandan genocide which isn't usually a topic of conversation <laughs> over lunch and supporting charities and social causes so welcome actually it's lovely to have you on the show thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be here it's just wonderful to be connecting and it's great after all these years we've remained in touch and we can still touch base like this fantastic and but more than I guess what I've shared already about you I think one of the things that just makes what what am I about what we'll be talking about today so powerful is actually the story and the life experiences that you've been through. So as well as what I've shared already, over the last few years, actually has overcome drug addiction, alcoholism, PTSD from fighting in the war in Iraq and recovering from the brink of suicide. He's explored many of the most hostile environments on the planet. And I'll tell you this, he does it in a way that I just am full of admiration for. I can't believe some of the extreme <laughs> adventures you have. And you happen to have also built a business helping people lifestyles. Most recently, he's published his book, Fearvana, which I just love the title of. Um, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth and happiness, which has even been endorsed by the Dalai Lama. I mean, that's quite a backstory. And I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more to get us going. Sure. Did you mean in terms of my story or the how I got the Dalai Lama? There's two conversations there, isn't there? So uh, let's go with your story first and we'll come back to the Dalai Lama. We're going to pick sure, you sure. first here. So a little bit about how you've become the person you are today. Sure. So what kind of led to this concept of fearvana and everything that I'm doing now this journey in exploring fear and my limitations really began in high school. Back in high school, I squandered about a year and a half of my life with drugs, alcohol. I lost two friends to drug addiction, and I was very much headed down that path myself. Thankfully, I got out. Then I joined the Marines. I spent six years in the Marines. I did one tour in Iraq. And once I joined the Marines is when I started exploring nature. Nature sort of became my playground to find, to get that positive, that high in a positive way, though. And so I went mountain climbing, cave diving, skydiving, ice climbing. I mean, you kind of name it. And 
explored all that. And then in 2007, I was sent to Iraq and I did six, seven months out there. When I came back, finished my master's, then started my business soon after that. And then I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I struggled with alcohol once again for a little while until I hit a point where I just considered taking my own life. And that hit me really hard. That's it was shocked that I would even think something like that. So from there, when I hit that low moment, I immediately said something needed to change. So I began researching neuroscience, psychology, spirituality to not only heal my own brain, but really to figure out how do we all live a happier and meaningful life. And that's what led to Fearvana, that idea, the concept of it, and everything it's now spinning off to, including the book and everything I'm up to right now. Wow, it's fascinating. An incredible journey that you have been on. And I mean, how did you actually overcome that, the PTSD? And, you know, feeling so bad, because if I think about the work I do in Rwanda and different circumstances, different life experiences, but a lot of the young genocide survivors we were working with over there also suffered from PTSD. I know it can be quite challenged to turn around. How did you do that? For me, when I hit that low moment, that was very shocking that I would even like that I could think something like that. And that was sort of a trigger that led to change. But one of the more valuable things I learned in that process of healing myself was that the symptoms of post-traumatic stress are not indicative of a disorder. When I came back from Iraq, I was jumpy when there was loud noises. And according to the diagnosis, it was a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. Same thing that I didn't like crowds. Same thing, same thing that I felt survivor's guilt from having lost a friend in war. But all these things are very normal human emotions to an experience like war. I mean, my brain learned to associate loud noises with death. I mean, inevitably, I'm more jumpy with loud noises than the average civilian, right? But I learned that that doesn't mean I have a disorder. So I started to create a distance between the symptoms of post-traumatic stress and the label of disorder and essentially start stop judging my emotions. And I learned to find value in them, learn to reframe them, because I think post-traumatic growth is an equally, if not more common, response to trauma that we just don't hear about as much. But it's kind of, we've created this belief system globally that trauma, or in this case, war equals this traumatic experience, which equals PTSD. So many veterans almost go out to war, expect that they'll come back feeling messed up in the head. And when I talk to people in the US that I'm a veteran, there's this sort of sympathy to me, like, oh my God, like, poor you. And, you know, I appreciate the love and I understand it's coming from a place of love and caring. But it's really, if you think about it, what that's saying is that, oh, something's wrong with you because you've been to war, right? And that doesn't have to be the reality. I'm not saying like, I'm not condoning war itself, of course. But what I'm saying is that the reality is that trauma can be this beautiful experience that leads to growth, right? And shifting that. So just a quick example of how I did that is when I lost, I mentioned, I struggled with survivor's guilt and I lost a friend to the war. And that guilt drove me to many dark places. But now I've learned to find value in that guilt. I actually have a poster up on my wall of my friend and it says, this should have been you. Earn this life. And now I use that every day to drive me to stay sober, saying, since I'm still alive, let me do something meaningful with it. Let me give back. Let me make this life worthy. Let me honor my friend's death and do something meaningful with this life that I've been gifted. Wow, that is so powerful. I mean, honestly, so many little nuggets in there. And actually, as you say, it's a natural response Mm -hmm. to war when the associations you and many others must have when you come back to different things and different noises and different situations that, yes, that's it's a shift in association. And I love how you said there about that trauma can be a beautiful experience that drives you to growth. Absolutely. Very profound. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was, in fact, one, one interesting thing that happened when I spoke to this gentleman once from Spain and he started talking to me about my experiences and asked me about Iraq. And after I shared, he said, that sounds like it was a beautiful experience. And it was the first time I've ever heard somebody say in response to my experience of war that that sounds like a beautiful experience. Yeah. And it was just interesting how it reframed the whole thing for me. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, and I'm just curious because when was it that you got interested in the genocide in Rwanda? Because when you look at different again, but how did that come about? Was that before or after your time? 
time in Iraq? So I went to Iraq after my junior, around my junior year while I was undergrad, because I was in the Marines and in college at the same time. And in that time from serving in the Marines, I mean, I was a history major in undergrad. So I was very fascinated with various history and inevitably some to some degree military history. But looking at humanity and, yeah. you know, to me, that genocide, and you can relate to this even more considering your work out there, but genocide is sort of the humanity at its absolute worst. Mm-hmm. And I've always been fascinated with what can drive human beings to such evil. Mm-hmm. You know, like even with drove me to the Marines, for example, what got me out of drugs and, and joined the Marines was this movie, Black Hawk Down. Have you seen the movie? No, I haven't seen that. It's a very powerful war movie. It's based on a true story. And in the movie, you see people sort of sacrificing their lives for their fellow human beings. So the fascination, I guess, about war and about this thing was that in war, you see the absolute worst and the absolute best of humanity. So this genocide was this sort of representation of the absolute worst of humanity. And it was like, what could drive human beings to do that to their fellow human family? And that's what was interesting to me about it. And that's what had me study it. It was my major, it was my history thesis when I was in my undergrad. And in some ways, it also what drove me to my own experience of war, because in war, you also see people sacrificing their fellow human beings. You see a kind of courage that sometimes it takes the extremes of humanity to bring out that courage in in, in us. So that's what had me join. And that was the fascination with the Rwanda genocide. I mean, of course, as you know, I mean, it was awful, awful thing that everybody went through that adversity. You also see such resilience and you've experienced this personally, which I have not. I've just read in stories. But yeah, it's fascinating to me experiencing humanity at its extremes, I guess, which was drew me, I guess, to the interest to that particular topic. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I mean, that's one of the things I talk about when I talk about my trips to Rwanda. And the number one thing that I really have taken away from all those trips is the incredible capacity we have as human beings to heal. And not surprisingly, actually, after those trips was when I published my first book, Heartitude, which of course talks a lot about the neuroscience and lots of other science around how we can put ourselves in a good emotional and physical state. So that's interesting that we've had different journeys, again, more yeah. in common, yet more. <laughs> I can't wait to say, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, in in person, again, to have a good conversation around this. And so it's also fascinating that you've experienced, I suppose, because we think of when you go to Iraq as being, you know, obviously there is the conflict, Mm -hmm. but there's a humanitarian side of that as well, isn't there? That when you're actually out there. So how would you say going out and being on the ground and, and experiencing that kind of thing has actually benefited you in some way? Oh, in a profound, deep, I mean, obviously, profoundly beautiful way. It led me to some dark places for sure, but I'm grateful for all of them. I mean, I absolutely have no regrets about joining and about serving. And it's one of the things, I'm, the most meaningful experiences of my life. Beyond the politics of the war, I don't think we should have gone and all that stuff. But separate from the politics of the war, just being on the ground in this experience. I met Iraqis. I met one gentleman who had served, who had spent eight years as a prisoner of war in Iran. And you could tell, like, I mean, God knows what kind of awful hell this man must have been through because of the Iran-Iraq war. He hated Saddam for putting him in that position. And he used to always say, Americans and Iraqis must work together to create a better future for us all. I had Iraqis come up to me and say that, that I feel sorry Americans have to pay in blood for Iraqi freedom. So again, separate from the politics of the war, there was this beautiful humanity on the ground of, I wanted to actually help these people, that they had gone through so much suffering from years of the suppressive regime, even before that, just the history of these people, how much they'd suffered, but their resilience. I mean, through this all, through their suffering, through sometimes living with no food, water, and war zones, they're smiling, they're happy. And you, it was a beautiful thing to see that and just to see it can that capacity for human resilience and you learn so much about yourself too and it just shifts your perspective on life and sometimes you know we get caught up in our daily life and the things we complain about but it's good to often remember that and get some perspective on where it could be so it was a tremendously beautiful experience serving and on the ground in that from a sort of just a humanitarian perspective as well beyond the conflict zone yeah totally and it sounds like while it's been absolutely tragic that you lost your friend and i'm sure many other comrades that Mm it's the beauty is the legacy that you're in the way that you've turned your life around and how in honoring those lives from, from, yeah and what you're doing now 
that's what exactly and that drives me now to stay that's even in Iraq you know I mean in Iraq it's about the men the mission and the people we're there to serve so in life in the military is about serving something it's not about you the military does not care about your well-being it's about the good of the group right and that's mm-hmm. there's something beautiful about serving an institution about that and if you bring that same vision to the larger human family I think it's a beautiful thing where you say it's not about me it's about the good of the group on a larger scale and uh, and sort of replicating that ethos in what I do now as well yeah that, that is just beautiful and so coming on to your book and the concept of Firvana, which is just a brilliant, brilliant name. What does that concept of Firvana mean? So my wife came up with the word itself. I wish I could steal credit for it, but it was, <laughs> it was, all, it was all her. And when she did, I, I loved it as well. So the way I define Firvana is the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. And what I mean by that is, oh, thank you. (laughs) What I mean by that is that we all have our own worthy struggles. So it could be raising a child, hosting a podcast, running a marathon, uh, writing a book, anything. And when you pursue something meaningful, it is hard. It is a struggle. It's not easy, but that's a good thing. Like pursuing, we need challenge in our life. We need a meaningful challenge. And Fearvana is about the idea that we find our bliss through that. You know, the path to enlightenment is not to escape fear, but it's to embrace it. Because these things are scary. I mean, anything worthwhile is a risk, right? We're doing something we've never done before. When you start a podcast when you're writing a book and that's risky and with risk comes fear but that's a good thing that fear can be really an access point to our greatness and ultimately to more meaningful impact in the world as well i mean i know anything worthwhile i've done in my life has absolutely terrified me including writing this book i mean throughout writing the process of the book was was a terrifying experience because the whole time i'm you know i'm nervous is this any good are people gonna like it this kind of this constant anxiety about it but it, it was a beautiful experience as well <laughs> yeah, totally. I can certainly relate to that last year. Well, actually, it's funny. I didn't have fear when I was going through the writing, but it, I can remember the, the day I got my first book in my hands, phoning up a friend of mine who's written many, you know, many books and saying, oh my God, what happens if people don't like it? It's like, welcome to the world of being an author. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure every author goes through that at some point. <laughs> totally, totally. And so why? Because I know that we've had conversation before this and you're releasing this book as a fundraiser. Why have you decided to to release it as a fundraiser just in my own life with everything I've experienced I've realized that this book was sort of a it spawned out of my wrestling with my own demons and when I came back from Iraq I lost a junior marine and a friend of mine to suicide I still have family I know struggling with addiction as I have lost friends to with friends to it as well we're seeing mental health issues grow all across the globe and I think that the problem is we, we're living if we look at society as a whole their human family right now we seem to be measuring progress and this is a way that this next thing that makes our life easier and easier and easier and making our lives easier is not making our lives better, right? Like this new technology is designed to make our lives easier, but that's not a good thing. So I created this as a vision to help people reframe their relationship to these words of fear, stress, anxiety, and find that bliss in the adversity and realize that making our lives easier is not making our lives better. So to engage and find a meaningful challenge to pursue and realize that fear is not a bad thing as they as they go about pursuing that challenge. So I wanted not just the content itself to change lives, but also it to be a platform to giving back and to raising funds for a worthy cause that we support and making an impact beyond just the content, but but actually just the book itself and the money itself. I mean, my wife and I, we're fairly simple people. If I can have money to travel the world every once in a while and go climb a mountain, we don't really have other, <laughs> we don't really have any very other extravagant expenses. So what what else is the point? You know, I mean, is uh, for the life, I mean, as I said, from, from serving in Iraq, it's all about giving back and doing something meaningful. And in the meantime, I just like, would like to have some enough money to put, put food on the table and go climb mountains every now and then. Other than that, we'd like to, both my wife and I are pretty clear. We just want to give back and, and serve as much as we can with the time that we have left on this earth. <laughs> 
Wonderful. And so, I mean, how did you decide what charity to support and who is it and who are you supporting with it? So, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a challenge, right? Because there's so many Mm. causes out there that are worthy and and there's no sort of run right path. So at least with this launch, because I've also started my own nonprofit, a Fearvana Foundation, which is the sort of 501c3 and the nonprofit arm of what Fearvana will expand into many different verticals. And so we're going to partner with charities through the foundation. So the foundation will be similar to a Clinton foundation that sort of becomes this umbrella foundation that supports others in their work. And initially with the book launch itself, we wanted, we're supporting charities that, I mean, it's kind of like I've heard someone say this once, your mess is your message. So Mm. essentially supporting charities with my quote unquote mess. So a veteran charity, for example, is part of it. We're at the vision is to find four charities. We're still kind of in the process and we definitely have a veteran partner. The other ones that we want to partner with is one in the youth related space. Mm-hmm. One in the women-related space, women-like support or supporting specific to women's charity. And the fourth and final one is something related to trauma growth, like post-traumatic growth and or like sort of the refugee crisis we're seeing globally. So what our, the vision is to find these four groups. We have, we're, we're in talks right now with many. We found some veteran partners already. And then, the, and then the vision is to sort of distribute all the proceeds we raise throughout the book launch from now, essentially as well until the book for the rest of my life, giving it, splitting it between four charities. So 25% apiece between four charities. Fantastic. When you're speaking to lots of different people, then what kind of thing, how are you actually drilling down to find the right one? What kind of things are important to you? One thing is with even my own nonprofit is that any partner we find is that 100% of the proceeds go directly to the the work that's needed, as opposed to, let's say, administrative costs. I get that obviously charities need to handle administrative costs, so no issues there. I mean, I get that's part of the the, the people who work there need money as well, and it's part of the game. But me specifically, it's that, okay, if we're going to partner with you, that has to be the condition is that you handle your administrative costs however you handle it but anything we provide will go directly to cause that needs it that's sort of one criteria another one is transparency we want to see where the money goes so I'll, like for example when i skied across greenland i think it was a few years ago i spent one month dragging a 190 pound sled 350 miles across the world's second largest ice cap in greenland and part of that we raised ten dollars for every mile so thirty five hundred dollars for doctors without borders and i love their work i think they do great work but the problem was i felt like i didn't actually know where my money is going right like mm-hmm. am i helping a child somewhere in when a conflict zone in Somalia. I'm helping somebody with an earthquake in Haiti. Like, what am I actually helping with that money? So we wanted actually to be able to say, okay, can you show us what this money is doing? So when we have all these people who bought the book and contributed to it, we can say, hey, here's how your money helped this particular person or this particular cause in this particular area of the world, right? So some degree of transparency is another criteria. Another one is just obviously if it resonates with me, because again, I mean, we have these four umbrella categories, but even within the veteran group, there's a lot of veteran charities and I have to find one that if it personally resonates with me, and that's obviously very very subjective, but you know, ultimately I am choosing where the money goes. So it is up to me, right? <laughs> yeah. But so if it resonates with me, if the mission, if the work and some of these other criteria as well. And I have a friend who's done a lot of space in the nonprofit things. So she's sort of my consigliere, if you will, my, <laughs> my consultant to sort of get, Hey, what do you think about this kind of thing? She's done a ton of work in the, in this space. So she, I go to her to get input and counsel, but we found a few that we're really happy with, at least in the veteran space. I'm, I'm good there. I know with your work in, in Rwanda that in fact, I'm catching up with the uh, Lori as well later. So that's one that I resonate with, of course. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we're looking right now and with an educational one in India as well. So we have, have a few different groups that we're in talks with. And, and as the Fearvana brand grows, I think people will start coming to us more and more and we'll be able to find causes we truly believe in. That's fun. Yeah, absolutely. 
you're really, really honing in on what resonates with you. But the transparency is so, so important, as you say. And it's one of the things I talk about in my book. But actually, it's also important, not just from a charity perspective, but for us as business owners, you know, isn't it yeah. as well? And, but I've got somebody else I'm interviewing on that topic. There's another episode on transparency and the importance of it from a charitable perspective, but also from a business. So yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Really, I love it. Really, it makes sense. <laughs> really key. So you're releasing this book as a fundraising book, but you also have a business. So how does the book I'm trying to help maybe some business for some of our listeners that are listening in and they're running a business and they're trying to work out, well, how do I differentiate between what's fundraising and what's paid product or service? How does your fundraising book sort of align to your commercial part of your business, if you like, that the part that, that gives you income? Yeah. So, I mean, right now my primary business has been coaching, mm-hmm. like for one-on-one coaching, which has been going great. And, you know, I've been successful and happy and all that's been giving me a good lifestyle, but I'm definitely ready to migrate out of that. And I'm moving towards uh, now creating digital information products and eventually building up this Fearvana platform. So the back-end funnel of the book will have paid information products, which will obviously sustain me and my business. And even a pro- even portions of that proceeds will be going towards charity as well, towards the foundation. But I look at, okay, I try to be as clear as possible. So for example, anything that comes directly from the book goes to charity. From the back-end, it's a very specific percentage. And then the rest goes to, the, is, is part of the business and, and it fuels my livelihood as well as the business. And then Fearvana is expanding into different verticals as well. So like sort of like what Sir Richard Branson is diverging and you know he's very clear he's got okay Virgin Mobile and there's the Virgin nonprofit arm and there's the Virgin Airlines right so what Fearvana will be we'll have the Fearvana Foundation and then we're building out like a Fearvana Fitness Fearvana Academy Fearvana Festivals so there'll be different verticals in the Fearvana space that will be sort of so to be very clear about okay this is the nonprofit sector this is the for-profit arm of Fearvana in the different verticals as we build out the, the messaging as well fantastic it's lovely to hear you speak in those ways because it's just exactly what I talk about in Give to Profit that there's an element of when we run our own businesses it is about what we want both commercially and what you know the causes we want to support and the impact we want to have and then there's that piece which is the charitable piece which you've got in your own foundation for other businesses they might have it as they're donating to somebody else's cause if you like and then you've got your commercial business it's just yeah really good the way that you've brought it all together so yeah so if you were to pick one trait or characteristic that has contributed most to your success what would it be? I would say it has been grit, like just pure willpower and and grit. Like I'm not, and I'm not trying to say this just to be humble. Like I don't have really much talents. I don't think I was inherently a good writer. Like my wife, for example, she's amazingly creative. She came up with Fearvana. She came up with the logo. She's an amazingly, just amazing, like quality writer. For me, it was just grit. I mean, I'm willing to, if I decide to do something, I'll fight my way through it. You know, I'll stare at a computer screen for hours on end. I'll get it done. So I would say it's just pure willpower, the ability to fight my way through a task. And it's the same thing when I exercise when I run ultra marathons. If I say I'm going to run this distance, you know, I'll die if I have to, but I'll do it. <laughs> so, so that's sort of my one talent. So in fact, it's funny you mentioned that too, is that I have a talent show thing. Like I'm going to this one event where they asked, okay, we're going to do like sort of a fun talent show. It's like, what is your talent? And I was like, I'm not lying that I literally have no talent. And that's why I do things like running where it's just simple one, putting one, putting one foot in front of the other. Right. That's, but that's not really good for a talent show. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, when I look at the challenges you've done, sheer grit. I mean, I've seen some of you know the videos you've shot as you're going you're doing it it's like my god I would have given up and run just just <laughs> enough this isn't me but no grit is definitely a very good word that yes I would use to describe your approach to things so fantastic and so in your experience you know we've talked quite a bit about getting out there in the world in different ways in terms of being the humanitarian whether or not that's on a voluntary basis or doing it you know you've in some extent have done it through being a vet and how do you think serving others helps people face their fears or overcome their fears even? 
on a neurological level, if we sort of just take it down to the neuroscience of it beyond the sort of spiritual realm of it, is that it's actually been shown when you think about others, when you focus on serving others, it releases oxytocin in the brain. Oxytocin is what's quote unquote called a love hormone. And so when you even like hug your spouse or hug someone you care about, that love releases oxytocin. And oxytocin has been shown to help people engage their fear. So it actually doesn't eliminate the presence of fear, but allows people to not get paralyzed by fear and actually channel it into something meaningful and to meaningful action. So on a neuro logical level, it literally helps you face your fears. And I think beyond that, on a spiritual level, it also gives you something worth fighting for. Like in Iraq, when it's about your men and about the mission and people you want to serve, you realize that like, if, if, if I'm seeing my fellow Marines suffering there, that, you know, you put your own life on the line for them. I mean, not that I had to in that case, but you know, you're willing to, there's a willingness to, that's why you see people in, in intense situations bond in such a deep way. You know, you brothers in arms in combat. I mean, I have a friend who ran into a burning Humvee to save a fellow Marine in, in Iraq. This was before I even left. He was in Iraq and one of his friends was hit with the IED, an improvised explosive device. And he was willing to run into a burning Humvee to save him. And he did. I mean, he, he ran in. Unfortunately, he did not save his friend, but the guy's like clothes were on fire. And I mean, that's love for a fellow human being. That's pure service, is willingness to sacrifice your life for somebody. So I think when you focus from that perspective, it gives you the ability to channel your fears into meaningful action. And it's the same thing with my book and my business. I mean, you know how it is. Often you get caught up in the grind of it, like the day-to-day sort of tediousness of, of work. And sometimes that can be consuming, but the more, I mean, I, even with me, I, every time I step out of that and remember why I'm doing it, like what it's about ultimately, it reminds me, gives me the ability to focus on the work. It gives me the ability to, to realize that this is not about, okay, yes, you have to do some, sometimes these tedious things that are part of the nature of building a business. But ultimately when you make an impact, when, when you can do that, that's what it's all about. Like quick story. I did a speech at, uh, at the school in India and India has the highest student suicide rate in the world. It works at like one every hour, which is shocking. And after my talk, this kid comes up to me and said, you know, just two days ago, I was struggling with depression and anxiety and I was crying in this talk on, I was speaking about fear of and, and essentially about this concept. And he said, your talk changed my life. And remembering that, that that's what it's about. When that wow. kid who, whose life you might save, like that's what, that's why you sometimes grind out all this because it, it reminds you that, that the making that impact is what it's all about. It helps you sort of stay in the grind, helps you embrace the struggle and, and, and focus your work to into something meaningful. Yeah. And I would totally, I totally agree with everything you've just said there. And especially, you know, the way that when you get involved in something and you connect, you, when you're out and you see other parts of the world and you're connecting with people as you human beings at a heart level and as you say just give of yourself to help what we think of as, as very simple things we can do that can make a huge huge difference mm-hmm. to people and I, I I'll never forget there was one particular time where, between um, trips to Rwanda and we were at the point where we were looking to raise money for a for the film that we were having made about the work that we did and I can remember there was one particular point where we were invited along to an event which I didn't feel worthy of going to for whatever reason I didn't realize I had that doubt until I was invited to go and I can remember Laurie saying to me Alison it's for the it's for the young people in Rwanda and immediately I was there the fear had gone fear had gone so yeah it's very love that love that that actually is I mean that's a really powerful story and that that's I resonate with that because even me you know I always felt like I'm not good enough to share my story. Like, I mean, in every category I put myself in, I'm a veteran. I know veterans who've suffered more and done more. I'm an explorer. I know explorers who've, who've done more, like done. I'm a runner. I know runners who run harder. So in every 
category, you can find someone who's done more and it led to this, I'm not good enough. But I have a friend who's who, amazing guy, just been through a lot too, and who told me something similar. He said, look, it's not about you. Know that when you share your story, you can make an impact. And when I, when I have examples mm-hmm. like that, it reminds me to kind of get out of my own head about that stuff and just realize that, okay, you know, sharing my story is not just about my story. It's about the lives you can touch as a result. So I love, I love what you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that last piece that also, I think one of the things that got me past it was also realizing how selfish it was to give into ourselves. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and actually on that note, this seems like a really good time to bring in the Dalai Lama. So <laughs> I'm sure some of our listeners would just love to hear the story. I know we're kind to the end of the interview, but please do share. How on earth did you come over any doubt you had about being good enough and approach the Dalai Lama and get the endorsement on the front? <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. So I'll share sort of the, 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 the specifics on what I did. But before I do, I think one part is just that mental element is that just the, the, the audacity, I guess, to reach out. And initially, you know, I myself was like, there's no way I'm going to get. I wanted like, you know, I was thinking about who I could get. And I was thinking about all these people who are sort of the most recognized names in the world, like a Richard Branson, who I really admire, and the Dalai Lama. And I was like, there's no way it's going to happen, you know, like not, not, not a point trying. And uh, as I started getting some endorsements, I got a few from like I got from Seth Godin, gave me a beautiful endorsement. It suddenly sort of my confidence started growing. And I was like, you know what, why can't I get uh, from anybody I want, you know, like, why can't I get it from the Dalai Lama? And the point on that is uh, something that a, a business mentor of mine taught me, which I think is a really valuable thing that I've learned for any entrepreneur listening as well, is that he said, commitment is the fuel, confidence is the reward. Mm-hmm. So we read all these articles online about how to be confident, but the truth is you can't be confident about something you haven't done before because you haven't done it. How can you possibly be confident, right? But with the secret that I've learned and what he taught me is you apply confidence from previous successes. So, okay, I've been to Iraq, I've served in the Marines, I've overcome all these addictions and, and hit low points. I've climbed mountains in the Himalayas. I've done all these things. I can apply now that confidence and bring it as commitment fuel. So I wasn't confident about writing my book. It's my first book. I don't know how good it's going to be, you know, all these things, but I knew I was committed. So I used it as commitment fuel. I made sure to study about writing from the best authors in the world, like Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And then I wrote something that was, I now believe, something I can truly say I'm proud of. And then I started growing in confidence once I got that feedback from it. And that led me to say, you know what, why can't I reach out to the Dalai Lama? And so that's what I did. And so I actually reached out to his office, the email in his office, and that initially got me nowhere, like just on email on his website. So I did a ton of research on Google and I found one point of contact in the office there. And he then connected me to sort of three people later. I connected to one particular person in the office and I shot a personal video for His Holiness. That strategy has actually been absolutely game-changing, shooting a personal video for people to get their endorsement. That's how I got many other noteworthy endorsements for my book as well. I shot a personal video for him. I wrote a letter to him and I was very authentic in my follow-up with the with this gentleman there. And after about three to four months of sort of following up, staying connected, the healthy persistence, if you will, he wrote <laughs> me back saying, uh, considering you know everything you've been through and your genuine desire to serve, I will press your case. And when this gentleman said that, like, Two weeks later, I got this beautiful letter with His Holiness, his, the seal from the Dalai Lama and his signature, and we're framing it, putting it up in the house. It was obviously just a tremendous blessing to have that sort of, I mean, it's still surreal holding my book and seeing his name on the front of it. Like, it's, it's still <laughs> weird to me seeing that. So part of it was that belief that, like, and what's the worst that would happen? He would said no, and I'm not. I'm right back where I was, right? So it doesn't change anything. So just that belief system and then reaching out. And even in the reaching out, I think the lesson learned is be authentic about your vulnerability and your struggles. People often think when we're building a business, we need to share how awesome we are and here's how the greatest person in the world and why you should listen to me beyond any my competitors but the truth is what's going to draw people to you is your struggles and i was very open i mean as you've seen I, i'm very open about sharing that i 
everything I've been through. And my life is a very, very open book. And that I think is what had people connect. I mean, this guy, the, the monk at this office himself said that, you know, considering everything you've been through, that that's what I think drew him to me. And we connected in a deep, deeper, meaningful way that ultimately led to this beautiful and true blessing of his holiness's uh, forward for the book. <laughs> An incredible story. Incredible story. I just love it. Absolutely love it. Why can't I get an endorsement from the right. Dalai Lama? Why exactly. can't I? What a brilliant mantra. Yeah, that's one I'm going to be taking away with me. So what about one last piece of advice that you would offer our listeners in growing a business that makes a difference in the world? I think the single most important skill, you know, when people ask me what's what's like one big takeaway from the book, the single most important thing you can do in life I've come to learn and not just sort of my own takeaway, the research has shown as well, is in research on happiness has shown, is, is what I like to, the way I put it is to develop positive relationship to suffering. And suffering is a harsh word because, but it's, but when you can suffer well, it's easier than then embrace struggle or challenge. Because the point is that if you learn how to struggle with the smile, if you learn to embrace challenge, you can achieve anything. You can take on that healthy persistence to follow up for four months to achieve a goal that you need to. You can not only handle life when it inevitably punches you in the face, and that just happens from time to time, as I'm sure you know, but you can also handle the challenges standing between where you are now and the goals you're pursuing. So learning to do that, and that really comes just one step at a time. I mean, I was not this person born the way I was. When I was a kid, I used to be scared of Ferris wheels, like everything. Like, uh, so you work your way up that ladder of risk and that embracing struggle one step at a time. A great way, I mean, my go-to strategy, which has also been Sir Richard Branson, he said sort of his secret to his productivity and running 200 businesses and making a huge impact in the world has been working out. So exercise is a great way to like build your spirit, build your body, build your mind and translate that to other areas of your life. It's one of those uh, keystone habits. So that's kind of my biggest takeaway in the book is to, in fact, I have a chapter in the book called The Gift of Suffering. So <laughs> is to learn how to embrace challenge, learn how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and you'll be able to do anything the better you get at that yeah so many pieces of nuggets here and and just in what you've said there and actually the whole conversation that we have had i love how you reframe trauma to be a beautiful experience that you can use to drive you forward and that gritty persistence (laughs) <laughs> take that forward if people want to get hold of you actually how can they best do this and get hold of your book as well where should they uh, on fearvana.com so f-e-a-r-v-a-n-a.com we're actually until the pre-launch phase we're giving the book away for free we just ask you to cover shipping so to get the book in as many hands as possible and then you can also reach me from there i definitely intend to be one of those authors that's very very accessible so any questions as you're reading the book and or just from listening anything i can support and serve with it's uh that's what it's all about so feel free to reach out <laughs> Fantastic. And for anyone listening, that all the details will be in the show notes as well. So, I mean, thank you so, so much, actually, for your time. and Just so much, so many nuggets. I really could just speak to you for hours. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed it very much, too. So thank you very much. And thank you to everybody for tuning in to this episode. I look forward to connecting with you again next time. Remember to check out givetoprofit.com for the full show notes, plus details of how you can connect with Akshi. Thanks for listening to the Gift to Profit podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes so you hear about our next episodes. It would be great if you left a rating and review of the show there too. For every review this month, Alison will be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. You can connect and chat with Alison on Twitter using the handle at Alison Mac and through the Give to Profit Facebook fan page. And if you don't already have a copy of Alison's best-selling book, Give to Profit, How to Grow Your Business by Supporting Charities and Social Causes, you can get this on Amazon around the world.